Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hey, friends. Thank you for listening in once again. Your time (laughs) to listen to these incredible stories is um, much appreciated, so it does not go without notice. Um, Thank you so much for being a part of Cocktails and Conversations. Um, I am very much excited about today's podcast. Um, The reality is, you know, some days we wake up with a lot of heavy hearts, I think, recently or today at least I was feeling definitely feeling a lot and as we all are during these times and I think it's important to sit in that and feel what we're feeling fully um and with everything that's happening with Breonna Taylor and people mentioning consequences for protesting it just makes my heart pretty heavy um in that reality in the reality of an unjust uh, judicial system. So with that, uh, there are ways to sit in that. And there are also ways to have beautiful moments like I had with my friend Shay today. Um, so I got to, in the day that I was having, I was like, well, I might as well make my favorite drink. Um, and it definitely helped to lighten my mood for sure. Um, and it is a drink that I also made up. So you may like it, you may not like it. I think that we enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely different and very fruity. So if you'd like something that's citrusy and delicious and strong, then hopefully you will like an apricot and orange whiskey sour, which is, of course, my favorite cocktail, um, a whiskey sour. We started with a full ounce of Treaty Oak Ghost Hill bourbon. And then we added a half ounce of orange liqueur and a half ounce of apricot liqueur. And then we added an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice. You could do a half an ounce to an ounce, depending on how tart you like it. Um, um, From there, of course, there was a couple dashes of bitters and then an egg white. And so I doubled that recipe, shook it all up. Um, I've been doing something recently that's like shaking it for 30 seconds with no ice and then shaking it for about a minute with ice. Um, it just helps with the frothiness of the egg white. So good. Um, so grateful for it. So if you are listening along and want to make the cocktail that we're drinking, that is the one, an orange and apricot whiskey sour. So good. So, so good. Um, And then my friend Shay is on the podcast today. And if you've been around Orlando, and especially if you've been in any women's um, entrepreneurial things or women's business, etc., I met Shay several years ago now when I was very, very first starting out. So it was probably five years ago when I was starting out Dinner Party Project. Um, and she was doing something called We Venture, so I connected with her at that time and um, have seen since seen her do a lot of different um, things within Orlando, but she is currently engaged in 
uh, empathy and how does that play into especially the workplace, which I think is incredibly important. Um, how do we see one another and acknowledge and how to operate in bringing everybody to the table with their own feelings and how they operate and acknowledging and honoring people in that, in that regard. So Shay has done a lot of work in the empathy realm and a lot of different realms, uh, growing businesses to social media, marketing, etc., and trying to put women businesses on the map and elevating them. So, so excited to sit down and share a drink with her. So I hope that you will enjoy and hope you're enjoying whatever you're sipping on. Hey, Shay. Hey, Dana. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversations podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for being here. We will cheers from across the room. It feels like across the table. Can't quite reach that six feet. I know. Salud. Salud. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So today was just like... Mm. A day that I was feeling like maybe I needed to make my favorite drink. And I feel like I remember you liking bourbon. You have an excellent memory. Right. (laughs) And bourbon is also one of my absolute favorite spirits. Divine. So today, and I was also thinking, I was like, well, what do I have? So it's a, it's a whiskey sour, which is obviously my favorite drink. Mm -hmm. And then I added some orange liqueur. Um, we've got the, uh, Ghost Hill Bourbon from Ooh, Treaty Oak, which is always so good. Very nice. Uh, an orange liqueur. An apricot liqueur, because I have that on hand. Once you buy the whole bottle, you're like, what else can I put this in? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Because it's delicious. Because <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> but I think that the orange and the apricot feels like that space between summer and fall. Mm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really nice. Yeah. It's flavor profile. Mm-hmm. It's got lemon juice in it and egg white, bitters, and a little... I, I personally would have bumped it up maybe just a little bit, I did, but I didn't want to make it too sweet. But mm-hmm. I did put in just a little quarter ounce of simple syrup so it's mm. not like a ton no it's yeah, excellent I and made it. I don't know if it's really true but I feel yeah. like because it has egg white in it uh-huh you know this is like on the healthier side we oh could call it a lunch <laughs> okay <laughs> oh there's protein mm. okay uh, <laughs> if, if you would like to put in that category you're welcome to that's gonna yeah. be my perspective today <laughs> the egg white makes it lighter and frothier frothier so mm. delicious and so, so good so thanks for day drinking with me and uh, sharing a drink well you know it's hard to twist my arm to get me to do it but it's true <laughs> i'm so happy to be here Thank you are Mm. So the first thing that we do talk about is cocktails, which is, of course, one of my absolute favorite mm-hmm. um, topics. And um, so I'd love to know a couple of things. One is, do you have a go-to drink, like a favorite that you either make at home or in days when we used to frequent restaurants? Oh. Like, is there a drink that is like your favorite? Like you kind of, without fail, you will know that this is going to be... Your jam. The go-to. The go-to. So I got to say just a Macallan 15. Okay. With a just single, straight. you know, the, the one large block of ice in it. Uh-huh. It's it's just 
always excellent, but you can't get Macallan 15 out very often. And actually they've discontinued it now. Ah. So stuck up. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, Where that was my go-to. Where do you find this? Or they don't, they're not producing it anymore. They're not producing it anymore. And I just found that out a few weeks ago. So I'm kind of like panicking and trying to buy up all the surplus I can right. find. I think that ABC is out, but Total Wine all still. All ABCs? I think so. Okay. Um, because, you know, ABC will order something in for you if their location doesn't have it. Right. And they cannot. Um, because but they're not doing yep, it anymore. They're not. And so I think Total Wine has a few. Okay. Um, so those will make really nice gifts for the, the Scotch drinkers in your life. Because right. Macallan 15 sits between... Can I geek out on Macallan first? Yes. That's oh. over here. Okay, excellent. <laughs> so, you know, you've got your Macallan 12 which is very um, common. And you'll see it as like a top shelf scotch mm -hmm. at a lot of places when you go out. Um, definitely not necessarily a top shelf scotch, you know, but then you'll see maybe okay. the Macallan 24, which is what Harvey Specter drank okay. right? in suits. Oh, no, you're not. Um, yeah, I don't have to tell you who that <laughs> okay. is. I know. Right. Um, but Macallan, so then you've got the Macallan 18, right? Mm -hmm. Which gets back down into like an accessible price range. Between the 12 and the 18, there's a huge price difference. Right. Huge. Okay. And a huge taste difference. So in comes Macallan 15. Right. And you get that huge taste difference from 12 to 15 without the price difference. So wow. the 15 to 18 flavor is pretty close, but the price is very different. Okay. So really the 15 is like the affordable, accessible, best taste of Macallan. Okay. And I think they really Very accessible. Mm. And More I think it's just right. not good business <laughs> for them anymore. <laughs> so I'm super bummed. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Of all the things to lose in this year of 2020, <laughs> that is another thing to lose. And <laughs> all for the love of all things holy. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even put it in that bucket, but now that you frame it that way, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's days when you kind of realize, like even this morning, I was just kind of feeling all the feels from some things that are happening in our world. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's like you have to feel the feels feel like the losses and even something like that where it's like that's your favorite drink and it might not be accessible anymore yeah. and that sucks yeah I right. was talking to a girlfriend yesterday and you know she's able to move in that place now where she's starting to have gratitude uh -huh. you know for the for the the pain and the suffering and the loss and you know she's coming she's starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and she's mm. that light is brighter right, right. than the one before and I said, I gotta be honest, like, at the end of 2019, 2020 was looking Pretty amazing. Good, right? like, <laughs> best year of my life, amazing, not being exaggerative. Right. So I'm not, I'm not fully there at the, like, super grateful for all the suffering yet. Uh-huh. And I just don't think it's a good idea to rush it. No. Yeah. I think that we can also hold both things together. Yes. Right? So we yes. hold the loss and then we hold the gratitude together yes. and so we have to be I think reminded of like something as beautiful as like a tiny little drink just mm. like being grateful in like finding finding those things to remind ourselves that all is not lost a lot of things are lost that's right um which is a heartbreak but all is not lost and so absolutely it is yeah absolutely it's a way we I mean you you have to we have, we have to like obviously and you know Feel the feel the things when they come, and then also make a plan. Yes, to keep your head above water yes. and 
and we're all figuring it out kind of in these wild times. That's why we need each other too. Yeah. Right. Because then we don't get stuck in one place. It's crazy. We get inspired or encouraged. Yeah. Wow. We just took like a really big side (laughs) tour. Back to cocktails. Which is great. (laughs) So back to cocktails in times that were not as... Uh, crazy and shut down as this, even though everything is back open now, was there a time in the time that we were, um, before COVID, what, what would be a, a favorite, maybe top two or three places around town that you would love to grab a drink? Mm. I think my go-to started becoming the woods. Okay. On yeah, Orange. I've been there. Yeah. And I love that. You know, they would serve, um, they had my McAllen 15, right. which was awesome. And then I don't know if you ever went, I think it might have been like Tuesdays or something, but they would serve um, some very crisp, thick cut peppered bacon Oh, with the drinks. And okay. so you just get like a tumbler and it would have some bacon get strips real in it. real salty oh, and then you so drink good. it all, mm-hmm. all down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. some really, one. Yeah. Some really good networking meetings there. Um, the the rusty spoon, oh, yeah, I love. Mm-hmm, I loved their patio, man. And I guess um, right at the end of two thousand nineteen, mm-hmm. beginning of twenty twenty, I started spending a fair amount of time in College Park since I just moved there. Yeah, and so I found that I really loved uh, Rustique, yeah, their patio, yeah, and Cafe Linger. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've been there a couple times. Yeah. Right. It's really, it's a very sweet place. Mm-hmm. And so it's a nice yeah. uh, late afternoon glass of wine with, with a friend. Right. Get cozy and mm-hmm. go deep. Those are good spots. Mm-hmm. And some of them exist and some don't so exist anymore. I know. Yeah. How about you? Where were you frequenting the most? What did you love? Oh gosh. Um... Probably the sunroom was my favorite guest house, mm. guest house and sunroom. Are they side by side or? Yeah. So they opened probably a year ago ish, mm. obviously before all these things happened, but, um, yeah, so they are kind of like the sister bar to the guest house or literally they share a wall gotcha. and then love the guest house. Obviously been going there for a million years. Mm. And then they expanded with, like, the, the sunroom is, like, a huge portfolio of cocktails. So, Ooh. Guest House is wonderful because it has beer, wine, spirits, cocktails. Right. And then sunroom is, like, mainly focused on, they have, like, I can't even tell you. It's probably, like, more than 50 options for cocktails. In I there. think your skin just started glowing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was thinking about, I had a grasshopper there. It was either early early this year or at the end of last year or something like that. But anyway, I just, yeah, love that place. I really love the bar at Domu. Mm. They have great cocktail, great cocktail program. Mm. They're very accessible. Mm-hmm. So they're like 8 to $10, 8 to $12. It's incredible. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. And wings. And maybe I'll wait for ramen <laughs> or maybe I won't. But my gosh. <laughs> I just love being there. I don't know. So there's just some good good spots around town. Orlando has amazing yeah. places to, courtesy, to gather and be Hansons, mm. So many. So many good ones. Yeah. I am mostly not yet quite, I'm not like going out so much as far as yeah. for lots of different reasons. Sure. But, um, but maybe one of these days I feel like maybe I'll venture out to like an outside patio mm-hmm. somewhere and mm-hmm. have a space to keep my distance. I don't know. Just... It's just a, a weird 
time where we have to make these decisions, right? We've never been in this space before. Yeah. So crazy. Okay. So we could talk about that probably all day, but we will move on <laughs> okay. to um, story, okay. which is everyone has a completely different story and we don't really choose where we're placed onto the universe. We're just kind of like put in a, we don't choose our family of origin. We don't choose our DNA. We don't choose our socioeconomic status. We don't really choose. We don't get to choose anything. Mm. And then from there, we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. Right. It's so true. <laughs> right. Or maybe we did choose it. I don't know. I like to play with the idea of like, you know, what if, what if before I came, I chose this path and this journey and these people right. and these challenges and these joys. I don't know. I don't have I can't any. can't think before that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any knowledge of the pre-conception, uh, nope. nope. but um, yeah, whether you have an idea of how you got there or not, we are Here all we are. placed in this universe, yes. right? And then from there, um, so what was it like growing up in your household and mm-hmm. like, you know, your parents and family of origin and siblings or not siblings and just kind of what was the, what were those like formative years of like Shay's life mm-hmm. like? Well, I'm a real life Florida girl. Okay. So that means that I grew up running around barefoot outside. Yeah. I could run across an entire parking lot covered in acorns barefoot. Yikes. And wouldn't even flinch. Right. <laughs> Lord. Yeah. I remember, you know, Where a lot was of this? Right here in Central Florida. Oh, it's just Florida. Yeah, okay. yeah. We, um, so my my dad was in construction, and so we moved to where the work was. Sure. So we moved okay. all over Florida. Okay. But my my nana kind of created a home base in College Park. Ah. And so that was often a draw. You know, when we knew we would have a couple of years yeah. to kind of settle down, we would come back to College Park. Okay. And so it's really special for me to be now back in College Park, you know, right. as an adult with my family and my kids. And I, I went to Princeton. I okay. went to Lee. I yes. went to Edgewater. But like one year at each. Right. Because it was... Within your other spots around, yeah, and um, and then and then my mom remarried when I was thirteen. Okay, and so he was in computers, and so this was ninety three, and so you went where the work was. So yeah. we went to Canada. Okay, and I lived in Canada for four years, and then we're um, in Canada. That's a vast just outside of Toronto. You're right. That is a very big. <laughs> just in the, the continent of right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was right outside Toronto. of Toronto. Yeah. Yes. In a little town. So there's a fair there's a fair number of, you know, Canadians and people who are familiar with Toronto. And the little hamlet uh, was called Brampton. Okay. And I went to a performing arts high school okay. in Brampton, right in the middle of Cowfields. It was just surround like literally we would go to cow tipping, you know, right? at night as teenagers. <laughs> okay. So we're gonna back up a little bit. So did you have any siblings that you or yes, were you a child? I'm How the did... oldest of four. You're the oldest of four. Yes. I'm the oldest of five. Oh my goodness. This All is boys. So great. <laughs> <laughs> All boys after me, but okay, so you're the oldest yeah, and a girl. I mean, so the the oldest three are girls. Okay. And then the youngest is a boy, and that's when they stopped. Aha. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he, he grew up with four moms. Right. <laughs> all telling him what to wear and what to eat and what to do and how to do. That is like a mental <laughs> mental state to be in. Uh-huh. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, my brother's a saint. He right. actually still likes all of us, too, which is really amazing. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. So what was Shay like in, like, middle school... <laughs> High school era. 
I love this. So I think, I think I'm gonna like maybe in the future ask people to bring pictures. Yes. Yeah. From now on, so like I always like hear these stories, but then I want like a visual representation of like <laughs> who was this person? Yes, absolutely. Right. So middle school and up to ninth grade was kind of very familiar. Like, you know, it was, I, I had braces on for like five years because I wouldn't wear my rubber bands. And, uh, you know, brown hair, just kind of like a mousy brown. Okay. And um, uh, it was right into like, right towards the end of ninth grade, I remember a, a guy coming up to me in the hallway at high school and his eyes were closed and his hand hit the wall. And he was sliding his hand up and down the wall. And he was like, oh, hey, Shay. Because I was so flat chested. Okay. <laughs> I was a very, very late rude. bloomer. So rude. Right. <laughs> so, and and so the summer from ninth grade to tenth grade was like super transformative. Okay. Like I became a woman. Yeah. And I grew boobs. Your, and your body so, changed. Yes, my body changed. <laughs> and I wasn't quite sure what I, I think I'd had the pent up ideas of what I was going to do with this. So I bleached my hair blonde. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're really I, going for the trophy wife. Yes. Yeah, I was ready. <laughs> right. Like I was just so ready for this, right? right. I got myself a little pleather mini skirt. <laughs> and your mom was like, yeah, sure. So she'll come back. She'll come back. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so I went from kind of like massive brown, braces, flat-chested, wallflower kind right. of girl to... Coming into your own. I'm here world. Right. Blonde hair, pleather skirt, knee-high leather boots. Now the boots were actually leather. What was your inspiration? <laughs> Teen to- Vogue? I don't know. Like, okay. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't think I would... There's not enough money in the world for me to go back to high school. Mm. I know that a lot of people, like, those were glory days for them. Mm-hmm. Not me. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I wanted to be. I I struggled. Yeah. It was just awkward and uncomfortable and right. unsatisfying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, like, my middle school years. Mm. Yeah. Were the, the kind of the really tough ones for me. And where in the country were you? I was in Northern Virginia, so near Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, Like I said, we had four kids or four younger brothers Mm -hmm. and a lot of different factors. And my mom was like having her last baby, I think like 42. And then, yeah, just those middle school years. So was it like like rural for you or were you in the city or the suburbs? Um, I was in the suburbs. Okay. Yeah. And then we moved out a little bit to more, um, like Loudoun County, which is like, um, a little bit more pastoral and all that okay. kind of stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Very beautiful. Like, I can see you as like a little country girl, like, you know, running up okay. and down the creeks and, you know, but I can also see you big cities. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was mostly in kind of out like the suburbs of DC okay. and then we moved a little bit further out, which was, um, which was interesting because it was out in the country mm. and I went to high school for part of the time there, but it was part, um, like, uh, senators and like yep. people of DC yep. area, blah, blah, blah. And so they have, would have their big homes out in, they would have like estates, estates with like yeah. horse farms and like yeah. <laughs> stables and all that. And then, and then you'd have like real country folk. And so it was like this very interesting mashup of 
cultures, yeah. you know, like like literal farmers with like overalls and the whole thing. And then you've got people that are like doing dressage and like worlds that I have nothing, know nothing about. And I was like very much in the middle slash like we didn't have like a ton of money growing up. So I was just trying to like, you know, you're just trying to navigate. Yeah. Figure yourself. out where you fit in the world and, and what the world's made of. What yeah. a great exposure to, to such a variety and, and uh, broadening your horizons. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a 14 year old, I don't think you really like see the glory in that, but you're just like, okay, how can I get this guy to like me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you made your hair blonde. So you had found a uh, a life and a persona, a persona in, in that big moment. time. Oh, did yeah. you love? Did you love school? I was really good in school. Okay, um, but I found that if I charmed the teachers, uh-huh. I didn't have to work as hard. Ah. And I still got the benefits. Okay. So I would grade papers, you know, or like kind of help them out or, um, Is you know, if they had pet? clubs. Yeah. Oh, no, Shay. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you are that person. I'm that person. Right. I know. Lord. I know. That's okay. terrible. So that's how you found your way in, in the... I think it's, yeah, I honestly, having um, close relationships with adults, mm-hmm. you know, throughout... High school is probably what kept me from being too far gone and too far out there and too too experimental and, and too um, unchecked, honestly. Right. So because because I was teacher's pet, that meant that I was involved in a lot of clubs, you okay. know. And so I was I was I lived a very visible life, and I think that was good. Right. Um, and then when I was seventeen, we moved to Scotland. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did not know this. Mm-hmm. So I lived in, in outside of Glasgow um, in Bearsden for. A year. Okay. In a house that was older. With your family? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And our house was older than the United States. So it was really weird. It was right. like these like stones, you know, hand carved. We have no, we have no concept. None. Yeah. <laughs> we have no concept of what antiquity and like culture. Right. <laughs> we, you know, we think that we have culture in America, but um, there was a lot of culture. A lot of culture. In, in Glasgow. A lot of history. Yeah. 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 And that was the year... That uh, Princess Diana died. Passed away, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were on the Scotland side, and it was only a month after we had arrived there. Oh, wow. And so there was a there was a great divide. It was interesting. When we lived in Canada, um, that was during the referendum where Quebec wanted to leave the rest of Canada and be its own country. Uh-huh. But, of course, 16, Quebec is, yeah. yeah, they're surrounded, right, by all the other provinces. Right. And they also hold the, the hydroelectric plant. Oh, okay. Which supplies like 90%. That's a bad figure, but a lot, right? Of right. Canada's electric. And so sure. it was, the tension in Canada was very thick. And there was, you know, people on one side or the other um, on that situation. Oh, a, a polarized Yeah, um, like either for it or against it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think mm-hmm. I've, I've Have you ever this. experienced right. that before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was a key kind of takeaway from my experience of living in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, this nation divided. And then moving to the UK and, and Princess Di passing away, it was there was another, you know, nation Divide. divided, right? Like they either loved her right. and vilified England and especially the Queen for, you know, her the royal family's treatment of Diana, right? Or they were very like, oh, Diana was not a good representative of the royal family oh. or, you know. So again, that country, like it was interesting, like the grief and the um, tension was so thick. You right. could like cut it with a knife in the air for a couple of months. 
And um, looking back, you know, experiencing that as a teenager, right. I think was formative in who I am now, right? It did, hmm. When I when I encounter that kind of controversy, you know, that, that 50-50 split where there seems to be no middle ground. How do we engage as humans, mm-hmm. like, on one side to the other mm-hmm. side? I, I had to it's learn how to... Where we are right now. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. I had to learn right. how to make relationships in those types of environments, right. which was probably really helpful. So what was the next steps after high school? I wanted to become a reconstructive surgeon. So I wanted to go to oh. medical school. And uh, it was going to be really hard to go to medical school in the U.S. because I had Canadian high school credits and Scottish high school credits. And so uh, halfway through my senior year, my mom sent me to Orlando to live with my grandmother ah, in College Park. Okay. Which is why I went to Edgewater and right. graduated from Ed- Edgewater okay. <laughs> for one whole semester. Um, and so Edgewater had to do the hard work of translating my credits from Canada and Scotland to U.S. credits so I could apply to med schools in the U.S. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I applied. Um, I got in at Florida State and chose Florida State. But okay. I was also accepted into UMKC's six-year med program where you're, like, working on cadavers your first year. Which I was like, oh, that would be so cool. Lord. I know. For the certain personality type. For a certain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But I chose Florida State. Okay. Because when I uh, got to Edgewater, I fell in love. Aha. <laughs> like. The plot thickens. Yes. Like that whole movie thing where like you see the stranger across the room, mm-hmm. everything goes silent, you know, and everything freezes and like the boom happens throughout your being. So that happened. Okay. So I was not leaving Florida. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Were you going with somebody or are you just going staying in Florida? So, uh, we started dating and okay. I, I went to Florida state for their, their pre-med program. Right. And then he was at UCF and transferred up there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was my first love. Okay. And that's my son's father. Okay. And so we got married. Uh, we decided after, after some time at Florida state, we left right before we graduated. Oh, very right. interesting to go into ministry. Oh, who knew? Yes. Okay. So we were, we went to a ministry training program together at Calvary Assembly. Okay. Yeah. I lived like down the road from that space Mm -hmm. like for a long time. Yeah. 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So you kind of wrapped up your time in pursuing one type of career and then transitioned to, I assume, getting married and then transitioning to another type of career. Yes. Okay. That's correct. Yeah. (laughs) Starting a family. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then did the ministry thing for quite a while. So almost a decade. Okay. And when I went through that divorce, so we'd moved to Kansas City to be part of kind of some ministry activities that were happening there. Okay. If you've heard of International I House have. of Prayer. Yeah. <laughs> very familiar. Are you? Not very familiar. I am familiar. I've heard of it. Yeah, anyway. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of different accounts and there's a lot of different experiences there. Right. Um, but what was interesting is the reason that we got kind of um, attracted to going out there is they were starting up a new program called the Joseph Company. Okay. And the Joseph Company held this belief that business could be holy. Mm. And it was this idea of this like kingly priestly anointing. So, you know, you're not just either called to like be a leader. Business as mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, or just called to be a minister, but you could kind of do both. Right. And that was really appealing. And so went out there to kind of train under that 
thought leadership and, and those models for a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. And so when I was going through my divorce out there, uh, I lost my ministry position because you can't be a divorcee right. in ministry. How dare you? <laughs> so scandalous. Yes. <laughs> and so I decided to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd go back into medicine. What year is this about? This, well, this was 2008-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 2008. Okay. So my late 20s. Yeah. And... Uh, I was looking at different programs. So I'm a single mom now, right? Like I got this little perfect two-year-old and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to go back to school. Was your ex supportive? Uh, no, it was not. No. No. He fought it really hard and it didn't go down well. Okay. And his family it was kind of like my family and our church family. And they all moved out to Kansas City with us. And it was like very involved. Sure. So, so leaving that was probably a pretty big It was exile. a very big deal. It was enormous. I, I felt like... You know, there's these scenes like in Beauty and the Beast when like the townspeople come out into the streets and it's nighttime and they've got their torches and their pitchforks. They're like, kill the beast, kill the beast. Yeah. Right? Or like, burn the witch. Okay. Like that's, I'll that tell. was my experience. Yeah. Right. Everyone that I knew and loved, I invested my, my family, my friendships, my work, my ministry, my community involvement all in this one basket. Sure. And so that was Gone. gone. Mm-hmm. Shit. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm a single mom, um, technically homeless. So living in friends' houses that, that they had up for sale. Okay. So they would let Malachi and I stay there. Sure. As long as we kind of put everything in the closet. When they showed know, the house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we couldn't, you know, like settle in or anything. Right. Um, and so I'm like, oh, I got to go back to school because now I need to reinvent my life. Right. Again. Right. So I thought I'd go back into medicine and I remember being online and again, this is 2008. So, you know, like the internet education experience was not great, but I saw this banner ad and it said, but it was starting. What's that? It was starting. Yeah. It was right at the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there's this banner ad and it said, um, marketing is now a two way conversation between brand and consumer. Mm Mm-hmm. And for the whole decade that I've been in ministry, people are always like, why didn't you go into marketing? Why didn't you go into marketing? You know, and I was like, oh, because it's manipulative and, you know, one way. And it's just trying to, like, get you, know, you to buy, buy, buy. Yeah. Right. I, I didn't like anything that it stood for. Right. Um, but when I saw this banner ad, it was from Full Sail. Aha. And I was like, whoa. And I just, I felt this, like, lightning bolt go, like, you know, through my head, through my body. And it was just this realization that, the world has changed and business has changed right. completely because of the internet, because of this, this forced transparency that brands now have to um, participate in, mm. in the marketplace. And I was a little bit familiar with Full Sail's reputation. So, you know, I felt trustworthy. And it was close to Orlando. Yes, exactly. Right. Now, I was in Kansas City at the time. Right. But it was um, your Nana still yes. here? That's right. Yes, she sure. was. Yes. And so it was kind of like, oh, well, like that's a place from home and that feels safe. Yeah. And so I decided to go get my internet marketing bachelor's degree. Who knew? I know. Okay. One of the first 100 ever. Okay. <laughs> Such a guinea pig. <laughs> right. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me again what, you're, what you majored in? Internet marketing. Internet marketing. Yeah. Okay. In yeah. around 2008. Yeah. I started the program in 2009. Okay. Yep. And then how was that experience for you? Amazing. Amazing. Oh my goodness. I, I think like if we could all go back to college or university as adults, 
would love it so much more. Yeah. It's learning is amazing. And mm-hmm. those are such rich learning environments. I think that there's a lot of distractions. You know what I mean? When you're younger. I think it's pretty insane though, that like in my experience with my family, there wasn't really any pressure, um, which I feel insanely grateful for. But mm. it's like, once you get to high school, you're almost grooming for college and you're grooming to pay an exorbitant amount of money. Mm. You have no life experience. You, I mean, unless you're insanely privileged, you haven't traveled the world. You haven't seen anything. You don't know. I mean, at 16, you're supposed to like make these huge decisions, huge decisions. commitments, yeah. Pay 60 to 100 to whatever mm-hmm. to invest in something. You go at 18, you barely know how to boil water and make ramen, <laughs> right? That's like, so true. you're, or like you go, like, it wasn't really my, for my, for me, my experience, but, and or kids going to college and like just blowing it off and oh, yeah. partying oh, and yeah. having this moment of like, um, you know, you know, finding yourself, but then you're like, at the tune of $50,000 a year, (laughs) (laughs) they're going to pay, be paying this, which is just like, I think mind blowing to me. Like we put so much pressure on these kids. It's a broken system. It's a broken system. It's just, it's just, and not to, not to throw in socioeconomic on top of all of that, the advantages that people have to pursue higher education that get you the career that you want. It's just, and, Absolutely. So when I was, the, I was the first woman in my family to get a college degree mm-hmm. and you know, I, I was on the traditional path, right. Coming out of high school, you know, going, but that was, uh, you know, I had to figure everything out. There was no one who said like, this is how college works and this is how the finances mm-hmm. of college work. And then this is how dorms work or living off campus. And you know, like mm-hmm. I had to, I had to kind of plow that ground and, and I had the advantages of being white. I had the advantages of having scholarships, right? right. And having had um, rich club involvement, which made me an attractive candidate and made me somebody that, you know, teachers want to invest in. Right. So I, I just think that, that the system really, we have the chance now, honestly, to like, just ask different questions. Let's ask new questions about mm. everything. Yeah. What could we create if we ask new questions? Because the questions we ask determine what the answers. What does like a get. level playing field actually look like? Right. Let's be honest. Let's ask about that. Let's yeah. dream. Let's vision. Right. So you got out of full sale and then you're like, I have my son. Right. Right. And then now you're equipped with some new tools mm-hmm. and the world is available to you right here <laughs> in the Winter Park, Orlando area. And then what was of interest to you at this time? Mm. Well, about nine months into my degree program, it was an accelerated degree program. So I okay. got it in 25 months, um, nine months in. I couldn't stop talking about this stuff. Like I couldn't stop talking about social media marketing and SEO and PPC and, you know, these things just like captivated me and, um, the business owners that I happened to be associated with started asking me to tutor them. So I actually started a social media tutoring service. Okay. So I would literally finish a class, learn something, and then that would be what I would tutor my clients on. The next week for their businesses. Sure. So, um, pre- sounds like a homeschooling mom. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Let me look at this algebra, <laughs> and then we'll and then we'll get to it. Okay. Cool. Girl, I'm living that life right now. Good lord. What are predicates again? Hold right. on, just a minute. <laughs> An adverb. I've heard of those. Uh-huh. I know those are a thing. Those are a thing. <laughs> they describe something, but let's move on. 
Right. <laughs> it's exactly my hell right now. We're right. going to come back to that in a minute. My daughter's in fourth grade, so we're doing that right now. Um, but, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but tutoring people, um, business owners, on do-it-yourself internet marketing mm-hmm. things in 2009 um, led to them kind of saying, like, after about 10 hours, they're like, listen, there's a reason people are getting degrees in this now. Can I just pay you to do it? And so I was like, well, I can't do all of it, but I could probably find other people. And so I started a virtual agency um, to deliver internet marketing services. And that was great because it let me have my second child, my daughter, Lyric. And I worked from home and, you know, she would chase peas around on her high chair, you know, tray (laughs) while I'm like, you know, doing metadata for for a website for a client. Okay. Yeah. So I did that for a couple of years. What was the name of that business? Uh, I'm for solos, internet marketing for solopreneurs. Okay. Solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I remember, <laughs> so cheesy, this logo, I had this hat that I like to wear all the time. Okay. And so we took the hat and we like did a photo shoot with it and then we turned it into like a little icon and yeah, it was a thing. It was, it thing. was animated at one point. Yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> early 2000s, right? No, unfortunately, this is late 2000s. It's like 2009. Okay, right. Late 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So after that, what was kind of sparking your interest? So I was still in uh, Kansas at the time. Oh, you were still in Kansas? I was still in Kansas this whole time. So you did... The whole thing online? Yeah. Oh, got yeah. it. Yeah, so I think, okay. I think the internet marketing was Full Sail's first online degree program. Okay. And now they have more, but that right. was their first one. Um, and so what was great, too, is like my How'd you land back in, in Florida, Orlando? So I was in Kansas City. I was running the virtual agency, and all my siblings and all my family are here in either Central Florida or Jacksonville area. Right. And, you know, I'm the oldest of four, and at that point I was not yet 30, Right, and so they're all in their like early twenties, mid twenties, and they're trying to have babies and get married, and uh-huh. like I was like, oh, I'm missing out on on these really important yeah. things with my siblings. Yeah. So I wanted to move back to Florida and in proximity to them. Mm-hmm. You're exactly. never going to get this time back. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And because I'm the oldest of four, and you might feel this too, like I feel a little maternal over them in some mm-hmm. ways. Like I was a big part of taking care of them and raising them and helping them become humans. You know. <laughs> so. So I wanted to be there for for these yeah. special times too. And um, so there were some agencies in Orlando. And this was in Orlando. This is the time. So this was 2012. Okay. And this is the time when a lot of web development agencies were starting to say, E, like we made a bunch of money in project work, but that's... You know, once once you do someone's website back in 2013, you didn't do it again for five more years. Right. And so they were looking for recurring revenue streams and internet marketing was like the magic, like, wow, that's that's an ongoing daily, monthly service that mm-hmm. we could bill for. And social media. And social media, right. So right. like that falls under that whole umbrella. And so they were looking for people who actually were trained in it to help them convert their web development agency into an entire digital agency ah. with digital marketing services. So I, that's, that's how I got to Orlando and that's how I got to know a lot of people as I started helping various agencies in town to um, build out content marketing offerings or internet marketing departments within their agency, kind of CMO for higher service through agencies. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. That was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So you landed back in the Central Florida area around 2012? January 1st of 2013. Okay. My, I was driving into town right? on New Year's Day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so very much back in town mm-hmm. and then back around family, which is um, a huge blessing mm-hmm. and a huge, yeah. I think, yeah, being so far away is a real, um, yeah, this is, for me, like a disadvantage, like being so far. I have most of my family is here in central Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like very important. It of really course. is. Yeah. Being tethered. Um, and then how has that led into your current ventures and all the things that you're, tell us exactly. I know that I've known you for a couple of years, several years now, mm-hmm. um, through like we ventures yeah. and then a couple different things. Yeah. And then, so like I was asking, like, what is like the current, mm-hmm. your current like passion and then your current kind of like thing that you're pursuing yeah. at this point? I knew when I got uh, into Orlando that I didn't want to run an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's there's some inherent flaws in the marketing agency business model that just don't appeal to me. So I knew I didn't want to do that. I also knew that I didn't want to just be a consultant because consultants, you know, you're like on the hamster wheel, right? If you're not like running, then you're not making money. Right. And so uh, I knew I wanted to find a way to productize what I knew, right? Mm-hmm. Internet marketing and digital strategies. And so I played with a couple different things on that and ultimately ended up um, kind of identifying what, what I call the empathy framework. Okay. And so that is a collection of um, tools, activities, uh, processes, and systems by which organizations can orient their whole company towards the customer and okay. knowing the customer's needs um, and really systematize that empathy throughout every department so that, you know, Companies that are strong with customer empathy, they they grow and adapt and change with the market naturally. Mm-hmm. They're agile and adaptable by nature. Um, and I think that's more important now than ever, right? Mm-hmm. Like market forces change so much. So I took that empathy framework and I started selling it to businesses that wanted to implement the framework inside their organizations. And it normally takes about nine months working okay. with the leadership team to okay. do that. And uh, it works. It's beautiful. Companies that do that double, triple the revenue. You know, they decrease their operating expenses. They retain top talent better. They attract top talent for cheaper. It's it's just because it's more human, mm-hmm. right? It's like what is empathy to you? Mm. So we say that, uh, and and I've vested quite a bit of resources in researching empathy, like mm-hmm. with the academic community. Um, so we would say that empathy is uh, the ability to understand someone else's feelings and thoughts and be motivated to take action accordingly. Mm. So empathy is uh, the ability to identify with those feelings and thoughts, but then also there's like an empathic motivation that has to be coupled with it. Like you have to be, it has to inform your decisions Mm -hmm. in order for it to truly be empathy. How do you see that playing out in the workplace? Mm, I think it's it's the the future of work. Mm -hmm. So my company Forever Works um, is really, at the end of the day, on a mission to rehumanize business. Mm-hmm. And that starts with systematizing empathy inside of companies to help them um, not only know their customer, but also their talent. Yeah. Yes, there's customer empathy and talent empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of bring us all back to the fact that we can't say it's not, it's not personal, it's business. businesses between people right right? (laughs) so it's all personal there's also boundaries 
Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And I think, you know, we want to bring our whole selves mm-hmm. into the world now. And, and the internet is a big part of that. You know, we, we now see into each other's lives and we share more of our lives with Sometimes people. Sometimes a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I agree. Yeah. So discretion, right, is a yeah. new skill that maybe we need to learn and teach. Yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, when when people who are in the business community look to bring goods and services in true service mm-hmm. to humans, right, both in the, the humans who are going to receive it and the humans who are helping to deliver it, mm-hmm. I think that's when we start to see the world becoming a much brighter place. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that is your current kind of endeavor. That's the thing. Bit. And it's been the thing, you know, it's been the part-time thing. Um, and, and then it became the full-time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, within Forever Works to not only, you know, as part of rehuman, rehumanizing business, um, I think that we have to create spaces for social learning together. Mm-hmm. And so we have two social learning communities. One is called Empathy Champions. Okay. And so these are people who come together who want to learn how to develop empathy as a skill and learn how to bring it into business in a way that works. Right. right and isn't rejected. Right. Um, and then there's another group that just launched called Honeycomb. And so this is specifically for women who are affected or interested in intersectionality issues that okay. women face. Um, what does intersectionality, intersectionality mean? So uh, you might have uh, the experience of being a woman, right? And that being um, a minority experience or disadvantaged experience. But then you layer on something on top of it, right? So now you're a woman of color, right? Or you have, you know, uh, a disability, you know, or a sexual orientation or anything that kind of puts you in further status of kind of being on the fringe or a minority. Okay. So it complicates things. Like as if things weren't already complicated enough. Now we're going to add on this other complication to my existence in our current systems. So honeycomb is for, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I personally experience a ton of intersectionality issues. I've definitely, I'm a single mom, right? So there's definitely some, some elements there. Um, but I really, really care about the fact that there are women who are experiencing multiple Mm -hmm. of these. Mm -hmm. And I want to create spaces for women to, um, grow and thrive who specifically are being marginalized Mm -hmm. and are not being serviced and addressed through what's currently available. So we have this kind of hypothesis in Honeycomb that uh, we can create love-based systems in business mm-hmm. and in society. So law enforcement could be created off of love-based systems and education could be created off of love-based systems. So that's the experiment we're running right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. How does that translate into like real life movement? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, first we, I think, we have to be on the same page on a couple of things. So uh, two kind of tenants are like, how do we define love? Mm-hmm. Cause it can't just be, you have your definition and I have mine and right. Cause then we can't co-create together. We can't collaborate without some shared language. So creating some shared language um, and then looking at the components of it. Right. So uh, the components, right. Of love would be things like care, respect, affection, trust, honesty, mm-hmm. right? So those are things that you can start to identify. And we can look at an environment, we can look at a business, we can look at our homes, and we could say, you know, is trust prevalent here, mm-hmm. right? And if it's not, what can we do to start strengthening and fortifying trust? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, is open communication prevalent here? If not, what can we do to start strengthening that? And as we kind of set up all those pillars, right, those components of love, mm-hmm. we can step back and say, we now have a love-based business. We now have a love-based system because the components of love are being addressed and they're, 
they're they're growing oh, and they're so optimizing. It's giving language to right and like caring actionable. about humans, right? Actionable, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about kindness earlier. Yeah, when we can give language to it and construct to it, then. You know, imagination requires language. Mm-hmm. So to imagine, we have to have words and those words have to have meaning. And imagination leads to our thoughts and our thoughts lead to our choices, right? Mm-hmm. And our choices lead to our reality and our experiences. And that's so instead of just dealing downstream with, you know, make these decisions about your business or make these decisions about your realm of responsibility. Right. Go further upstream and say, like, what if we were to completely evolve the imagination space and give new language and ask new questions? Yeah. <laughs> Have bigger <laughs> perspectives of how our um, choices impact the world mm-hmm. and other people. Yeah. Yeah. Which is empathy. Yeah. For sure. So within life, as we grow into adulthood and we grow into the places that we get to like choose into like what we, who we want to be and what we want to do and life and circumstances and situations and all the things, um, has there ever been like a moment in time that you kind of felt like devastated by or went through like a, a, a moment of like total confusion or hurt or sadness and then how did you kind of come out out of that like once a week (laughs) is that the wrong answer um yeah absolutely and I think I think it has to do with my personality right so my personality is that I'm going to push boundaries I'm going to explore new things I'm Mm -hmm. going to take more risks than other personality types sure and so um I have to get really comfortable with like failure and falling down and and getting back up Mm mm-hmm um, otherwise, if I wanted to not do that, then I would have to stay in my bubble. Right. And that makes me want to die <laughs> to think about that. Like, there's no, there's no way I can do that. Um, I mean, I just, you know, I just experienced one of the most devastating things that I've experienced in a long time. You know, my two divorces, so I've been divorced twice. Right. Um, those were very painful. Like, just, it changes everything, you know, like, mm-hmm. changes who your friends are and, it changed my relationship with some of my family members and my work, you know, like it affected everything, my mm-hmm. finances. Um, but you know, that that's now going on like 10 years ago. Right. So like I've really grown and rebuilt, mm-hmm. but I just, you know, I just experienced betrayal. Um, and I can't really say that like as an adult that I've really experienced that, mm-hmm. you know, especially in a way where, um, I didn't see it coming. Right. And and it wasn't something like well, where I can look back and say, well, maybe I shouldn't have done this. And maybe I should have done that. And maybe I should have known, you know, like there's none of it that. It, it of literally left field out of the blue. Right? right. Definitely doesn't feel at all like a karma thing. Like I had this coming, you know, what I mean? like nothing like that. Um, and I have this definition of success on my refrigerator. And I think it's from like a vistage group or something. And it says, you know, success is, and it lists this long group, long list of things. And it's things like, you know, um, winning the admiration of children, right? Like it's uh, these beautiful ideas of what success is. Sure. And the only negative thing on that definition of success is to endure the betrayal of false friends. Mm-hmm. And I just like, that's what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm learning to endure that and, and finding, finding space for authentic forgiveness, you know, Mm -hmm. and truly blessing them and saying like, coming to an authentic place inside myself. Like I can say it out loud. Right. It's true. It doesn't mean I feel it inside. Right. But to to come to that place of like my goal 
in recovering from that is to get to the place where I can say, I truly want the best for those people, mm-hmm. right? I truly want the best for this human um, and mean it and feel that it's true. And allow yourself also that space to say, uh, also, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Right? I'm and not that's, there yet. Right. And that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I mean, obviously, it is a process. I'm not trying to interrupt your story. No, it's good. But um, yeah, I think that it's also okay to say, like, I know that I would like to be this person, but I also know, like, where I am right now, and I have to give myself time to grieve, yeah. you know? Also, yeah. that's, like, a big part of it to say, I'm not going to gloss over this and pretend it was nothing, yeah. but to say, this is a huge loss. It's a huge loss, and, and I'm not ready very... to just gloss over it no. and on, right? No, and, and you know, this is a person that I talk to every day, sure. right? And so I still have to break the habits of, like, you know, this one good thing happens and I think to, you know, talk to that person about it. And so, um, and this is not a romantic thing, just to clear that right. up. <laughs> it's, it's not a romantic relationship. But a business partner is yeah. a pretty, like, yeah, when you're, yeah. when you're coupled in that way, there's a lot of, um, tethering, right. Right. To somebody else. Oh, big time. So. I mean, you're tying your finances, your hopes, your futures, yeah. you know, your family's well-being, like all of that is vested right. together. So, um, I think that, I think that when I was in my 20s, I had this idea, and, and even it started, you know, at, at my blossoming age where I was like, oh, I have this idea of who I want to be, mm-hmm. right? And externally, I'm just going to make it happen. I'll bleach my hair blonde and put on the flannel <laughs> skirt, right? Or whatever that vision is. Right. And I've learned through life and a lot of pain that, you know, there's, there's the external work of becoming who I want to be. And then there's the internal work mm-hmm. of becoming who I want to be and that it truly is a becoming. Mm-hmm. And because it's a becoming, I'm not the former person. I'm also not that, that ideal person. Sure. Right. Like, so we're always in process. Yeah. And yeah. just like, and sometimes we, it changes along the way. Right. It does. It we're does. Kinda... And so can, can I give myself permission? Can I give you permission to just be in the in the messiness hmm. ongoing right as we as we journey towards our hopes and dreams sure super quick side note mm-hmm. have you read michelle obama's becoming no is it so uh, good it's so amazing number one and number two they have i think it's on netflix they okay. have like a special of her becoming like it's, i guess kind of kind of tethered to the book or whatever but um both are amazing really yeah, but I just thought that. Which one should I start with? The book. The book. Oh, always the book. Always the book. <laughs> <laughs> right. Always the book. Yeah, I am. I am a gigantic reader. What did um, you What did you glean from that? Like, what? How did it change um, you, or what stays with you throughout the day? I mean, I think just like her resilience and um, her grace through it all, and. Um, This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties, so if you have a birthday, anniversary, team-building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom, memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. 
So if you live in the Orlando area haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. I mean, we touched on that very slightly, but just the realities of um, that not, like we don't have an even playing field. And so for her to reach like the places that Mm. she had with just the motivation to be excellent, um, coming from like a very working class neighborhood in Chicago, um, I don't know. It was just completely inspiring to me. Mm. And just like the way that she led with dignity in the office that she held for eight years and the dignity that her family held. Um, I'm just getting chills right now. But it's just, yeah, I, I, I really loved like her story and just the optimism that they both led with Mm -hmm. and that they, I I feel like brought into the office you know. We have the choice. Like we can choose to frame things mm-hmm. in pain and negativity, right? Or we can choose to to try to frame things in a way that's empowering and, and elevating. Yeah. We get to choose. And I I definitely do not choose the latter all the time, right? Sure. Like it's it's definitely a process. But when I choose kindness, love, generosity, forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Like others, when I choose that. It goes better for me. And I think part of that is, like, seeing the beautiful story of her parents. Mm. Like, how her parents um, taught her that, right? Really? And so the, re- the reality is that we don't know things unless we're taught and modeled them. Mm. And so it's just beautiful and important to know, like, how important parenting is, right? And to yeah. invest in their the next generation is only... You know, like I had parents that loved each other and me like for 42 years. Right. And so that was incredibly wow, empowering and incredibly important. And I think that that um, and her life was obviously very important and how much it is important to, um, I don't know, hopefully see people and parents see the value yeah. of investing in your family, which I think yeah. is like the number one. And I believe in women in business and empowered I'm not married nor do I have a family but I think there's there's got to be also a really hard um fast commitment to being invested in your family and not letting that like suffer just because like two parents have a career or all those things but just because we belong to each other right and I think I think that's that's what touches me about the idea of family. I'm very, very close with my, my family of origin. Right. Um, but also I'm very close with people that I've chosen to mm-hmm. bring in like family. Right? right. And I think in both of those, whether it's by blood and marriage or whether it's by choice, there is a commitment to one another's growth and development and well-being. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've chosen to belong to each other. Right. And so when we are out doing quote unquote business or our careers or our hobbies or whatever it is mm-hmm. like that is meant to be in the context of belonging to each other. Yeah. Not, not separate from like, yeah, we've got our thing here, sure, but like your full self. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think if we could, if we can give each other space to be our whole selves and if we can really explore the idea of belonging to each other and choosing to belong to each other, right? Right. The people that we bring into our lives. I think that we would find new ways of doing business and hobbies and investing in self that doesn't compromise family 
and care for the ones we've chosen. I think that's out there. I just think that we're inheriting these old models and constructs that don't support that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to flip the switch a little bit. And the next question is, is there a time in your adult life that you have felt like a lot of pride in or a moment that you said, like, I've worked really hard for this and I see the fruits of my labor. And this is something that I feel totally like surprised by or happy with, or like, was there a moment of pride where you just kind of looked back and said like, wow, I pulled this off. Hmm. This, um, this past weekend I was at Siesta Key with my kiddos and with my boyfriend. And, uh, there were two moments one, I was in the waves with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Her name's Lyric. She's in fourth grade, and we're doing the homeschool thing. Right. While I'm trying to, like, completely rebuild my business. Right. You know, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but we were jumping in the waves, and she started singing this song. She was like, Mommy is my best friend. My best friend is Mommy. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is like, I'll share with you some other, you know, like, wins and things that are important, but it was, it's those types of moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, like my existence matters. <laughs> like, For something I'm, important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and in a way that's like truly deep and soulful. And then my son, he's turning 16 soon. His name's Malachi. And we were walking back from walking on the beach at night. And he's, you know, he's a 16 year old guy. He's not super into physical affection with mom. And I reached down and I just took his hand. And we were just holding hands and walking. And it was the sweetest moment that he was fully engaged in it. He wasn't just obliging. He was enjoying this. And I'm starting to realize that the more I can facilitate those types of experiences, um, everything else just falls into place. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I am very proud of what we did with WeVenture. You know, taking an SBA grant, Mm -hmm. uh, which is there for the government. It's not there for like the people, right? Um, taking a grant and having it hosted by uh, a university, right? Who's mm-hmm. there for, you know, it's its own purposes, not for women business owners um, and turning it into what we did for the years that we had WeVenture. I'm very proud of that. That was really beautiful. Um, I'm really proud of the work that I did at the um, Blackstone Launchpad with Dr. Cameron Ford at University of Central Florida mm-hmm. in the Student Entrepreneurship Center. Mm-hmm. Um, created an entire like community volunteerism kind of movement in their coaching program for students. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really proud of the empathy framework, you know, taking ideas and turning it into intellectual property. And, and yeah. the day that those posters showed up at my house, mm-hmm. I got the kids out and I'm like, look, look what I've been working on We're for years. It. Yeah. You know, like my book, radical customer empathy, you know, like yeah. when I got that first copy, I'm like, Oh my God, this represents three years of effort and intention and work. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely really proud of those things, but I don't know, like that moment of playing in the waves and walking hand in hand with my teenage son. Yeah. Girl, I'm most proud of that. Right. <laughs> By far. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's been such a pleasure to see you over the years, being able to like pursue the things that you want to and uh, championing women, um, I think is super important. Um, Kind of like you said, like things that haven't like been done before in old frameworks. Um, it's still in 2020 or 2020 is, is things that we're still um, 
a, like happening and a part of and just being like having like strong women at the table is is um becoming a little bit more of a norm but not uh the total norm so and soft men like like honestly like yeah. i just want to see us all bringing our whole selves mm-hmm. to the table yeah and i think there are some people who are called to um you know are men and helping them to kind of find their way home to their emotions and their feelings and their mm-hmm. intuition and their thoughts, right? Like that's really important. We Absolutely. really need that. Yeah. Um, I'm called over here to help women, right? Like find their voice and find their seat at the table. But the, I think the real promise and hope is that like we yeah. all get to bring our whole selves together. Right. We're all in the range of yes. this spectrum. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. So the beautiful thing is that we can all land somewhere and no range is better than the other. Right. And so it's this beautiful, like the way that we are collective, it's together. Mm -hmm. We need all of the, this is a perfect segue, but Mm -hmm. we need all of, all of the createdness on, on all the scales to be able to function in a society and to function health, you know, in Mm -hmm. health and, um, so our next topic that we're we've had a, <laughs> we're gonna move along because I gotta get you out of here. You're so good, at this. but um, the enneagram for me has mm. been such a huge um, moment and continues to be so huge. I feel like in my life, and um, it's kind of like the nine different pathways, and it's I feel so much more than just like a personality test and something okay. that's just like not trying to like put you in a box to say like oh you're just this one thing. And so you're only going to operate and I can write you off as this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nine different personality kind of types or there's nine different types. Um, and we really need all nine of them to mm-hmm. thrive. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like learning that we are all created pretty differently. Um, and but like you said before, how important giving language is to something. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think like digging into the Enneagram has given language to be able to give grace to myself yeah. and then to be able to give grace to other people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because we're so wired. Very, we can be wired very differently. Yeah. We're complex beings. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And so knowing, I feel what motivates people. And I wish I obviously had learned this stuff a long time ago, but, um, just even learning it now, obviously it's very important. Um, yeah. But so you are familiar with the Enneagram. I am. You are. Yes. 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 yes, yes. And from what you have dug in so far, you would classify yourself as. Oh, a seven. A seven. Yeah. Yes. Hardcore seven. Hardcore seven. (laughs) Yeah. And I will go ahead and say with an eight wing. Yes, you are right. (laughs) So your wings are kind of like on either side of you. Mm -hmm. So you can't have a two wing. Okay. As a seven. So you're either a six or an eight. Okay. Um, with the wings. Um, and how did you know? Like, what was it between six and eight? How did you know to go eight? Oh, for sure. I was even <laughs> trying to think if it was eight wings, seven. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm an eight. Okay. Um, so the six is the loyalist. Mm. So the loyalist has 
So we have um, we have attributes on either side. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like holding hands with kind of either number. I like that. So your one number kind of is important to nail down because it gives a lot of groundwork for the reasons why we do things mm-hmm. and just the internal motivators mm-hmm. and our internal kind of like body types. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and understanding, yeah, just really understanding why we do the things that we do. But, um, so the seven is the enthusiast. So yes. you're enthusiastic about life. Like yes. you want to be at every party. You have yes. so much energy. You Gluttonous for new ideas. Gluttonous and inspiration. Right. <laughs> you just, if there is something new to be had, you're, you want to be there, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to miss out on life. You want to experience everything that life has to offer. Um, so the six is the loyalist. So okay. the six is like... We need sixes to run the world. So they have the capacity to check in, do their job really well. Um, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes this is like accountants or um, office managers or very detail-oriented people. People that have the capacity to know how to keep everything safe and to know how to execute really well Mm -hmm. and to see sometimes like the bigger picture of like what needs to happen and like have a plan so they're very like plan oriented and like we very it. much need these folks yes. to help run the world um and then the eight is a challenger okay so i am an eight as well okay. with a nine wing okay um but the eight is um there to be the disruptor right oh. and so they are there to say I can envision a new way of thinking mm. and then I can know how to get there mm-hmm. and so a one is the reformer. So ones, threes, and eights are very similar. Okay. But the one uh, uh, wants to change things up in an already pre-existing model or condition. Okay. Um, the eight is, so like, say like the hotel industry. So a one would be, you're going to come in, you're going to shake up the Hilton, you're going to have like new policies, you're going to have new things to make you more effective, okay. more streamlined, you're going to embrace their profits, okay. whatever, you're going to make them a better, stronger, stronger internal company. Okay. And eight is like the air baby. <laughs> we're going to break it all, we're going to go around it, over you're gonna, it, under it. <laughs> you're going to, you want me to... To rent a room in someone's house that I don't know? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? This is <laughs> yes, <insane>. exactly. <laughs> right. I'm going to pay to rent somebody. Yeah. And so um, eights have a capacity to see what can be and mm. then have the vision to help people bring them along into something that's never been done before. Beautiful. That right. feels like you so much. I love that. <laughs> um, it's just interesting to like, I feel like like have this language and this framework yeah. to know myself better mm-hmm. to say, um, cause female eights are also not always the most popular or not the, super appreciated yet. Not super, right. <laughs> it can be like eights in general can be very misunderstood. Okay. And so, um, seeing the reasons why they're doing something, I feel like is can be very helpful yeah. in ways that they yeah. maybe sometimes manifest. Well, some of the things that are the most hurtful are being misunderstood, Mm -hmm. right? Like as humans, when, when we're not seen, when our intentions aren't seen and we're misunderstood, it's so painful. Yeah. So when we have this, something like the Enneagram, right? It's like, oh, like I can see her now. I can see her intentions. I don't misunderstand her as much. I don't apply my own random filters to her behavior. That's so beautiful. Which I think is also interesting with 
it would be interesting to see how it would ingratiate with empathy because it really is about empathy. It's essential, right? Because it's empathy is understanding someone's feelings and thoughts. So (laughs) you have to understand their perspective, right? Perspective taking is a big part of building empathy as a skill. Right. So something like Enneagram is key to building perspective and empathy. How do you think that you take like understanding how you were built and then like understanding when you are working with other people and different personality types, how do you kind of like take yourself Mm -hmm. into those spaces and allow space for other people to show up as themselves? Um, I don't know if you, have you had Dr. Laura Gallagher on the show? She'd probably come in and talk about self-acceptance. And I think that's where, that's where understanding myself has allowed me to be a better leader and a more effective convener or servant leader. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent, I think my entire twenties, like secretly loathing myself and not knowing it. Um, and trying to become something that I thought I was supposed to become and not even knowing clearly what that was. Mm. And once I got into my thirties and I started studying myself better, understanding myself and exploring these things, I was like, Oh, it doesn't mean I'm like an ungodly woman. It doesn't mean I'm a Jezebel or a bad person or, you know, all of these things that I feel like I've been labeled with. Um, it's like, it's my design Mm. and it's beautiful and has its place, you know, in the eight, right? Like in the circle. Um, and so as I come into a situation, I think radical self-acceptance, right. And that's why I asked about, um, Dr. Laura, that's kind of like her phrase. Um, I think that modeling that and by, by accepting myself in those ways, I create space for other people. It's an invitation for other people to accept themselves. Mm. And then I think there's an organic, um, almost like an atom forming, you know, like an atom has to have like the neutron and then the electrons and the protons, right? And like they all come together because energetically they need each other and they fit just right. And so rather than coming into a space and saying, this is a fixed team and, you know, we've got to get these things right and people have to get just right and everybody has to love everybody and work it out. Like having a little bit more of like a cell wall, mm-hmm. you know, where the right things can come and go through the cell wall as needed so that the right team forms based on, um, filling in one another's, complementing one another's strengths. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's how I use this information and apply it. Right. So I'm, I'm very much like, I don't work on my weaknesses. I, I literally don't care about my weaknesses at all. I feel so You don't care about your weaknesses? I don't. No, no I, I, like if you I see could, that would be false. Spot? That would be false. Okay. Because I have a very, um, I have a weakness of impatience with my daughter right now in homeschool. Mm-hmm. And so I keep snapping at her and I don't like that at all. So I do care about that one very much. But when in a work environment, um, I'm much more interested in what my strengths are mm-hmm. and, and improving, continuing to like optimize and hone my strengths. And then I want to mitigate the damage of my weaknesses. Like I don't want to just like go off and be a jerk in some way, mm-hmm. but rather than try to become the opposite of my weakness, I just want to focus on my strengths and then have that kind of like magnetic pull and attraction of other people that fill in my gaps. That's worked a lot better for me as an adult. How about your blind spots? Oh, girl. I just <laughs> recently had a blind spot awareness, and I've not, I've, not had, I've not encountered that in a while. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, it was there the whole time, uh-huh. and I didn't even see it. That was terrifying, right? Because, like, I just turned 40. <laughs> I would hope that I would be more aware, but I think I'm going to keep having them my whole life. And mm-hmm. I think that's where... Um, you know, those close intimate relationships come in. Mm-hmm. So 
while somebody at the supermarket or somebody from another department, you know, could point out a blind spot, like there's not a lot of affinity or trust built up with that person. Right. So like, I don't know that I'm going to take it into my being, but when my partner, right. Or my friend or my Mm -hmm. family or somebody points something out, that's when I really listen. For some reason, I think in our culture, we tend to do the opposite. We tend to like discount what the people close to us to us say about us. And then we tend to care much more about like what the strangers say and think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's definitely space for both of those. Um, but I think it's, it is the valuable, I think with the Enneagram, something that is, was very interesting to me when I read through, cause I tested as on the, you can take like the test yeah and I tested as a seven really? and I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, okay. that's where I got seven from. Cause I tested from it. Okay. But you've now taken control of this and now <laughs> <laughs> something to think about. Um, so I took the seven and I was like, oh, okay, like I can, I can kind of see that. I don't know if this really hits with everything, but you know, okay. Like I'm, I was just like very brand new. And then a friend of mine who's um, a therapist, um, like in my very close uh, group of friends, he was like, oh no, you're definitely an eight. And I was like, oh no, I definitely don't want to be an eight. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, I don't want to be the challenger. And I was like, that doesn't that doesn't sound like me. Like, I don't know. Thank you. I don't, I do not. Um, and so with the Enneagram, something that's very interesting is that it's kind of like a mirror. Mm. And so it can kind of also, we can definitely look at the things that are like, we need to acknowledge, um, which I think is very important. We need to acknowledge the things that are beautiful about us and the ways that we are created and the ways that we operate naturally. Um, and then we also need to have a mirror to show us our blind spots. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is something that I don't think any personality test kind of any personality thing has built into um, its kind of DNA to be able to show us. Like we also need to be accountable, right, mm-hmm. to ourselves and to the people that are well, around yes. us. Yes. And especially to our like close friends. And so sometimes it is kind of asking people, which has also been hard because nobody likes this or I don't like it. But I mean it's like it is saying like how do you see me show up in the world? Mm-hmm. You know? And so sometimes we can't see those things because we're only operating out of our own little two eyes and our mm-hmm. own spirit, which is beautiful. But sometimes we don't see the ways that we affect people and the ways that we show up in a room and yeah. the energy that we create or yeah. don't create or um, ways that we need to be, I think, super aware of how I think that's one of the most important things for human is like self-awareness, right? Yes. Because oh you know and you feel when somebody is self-aware, not self-aware, and they're just exploding all over everybody <laughs> and you're like you can you <laughs> grow up a little or yes, like you please, just feel please. this yes. very much and so the important the importance of um not having blinders on also to the ways that we yeah. maybe don't understand how we affect other people and so, so to good. say now like I'm just picking number a five or like a two or something like that. I can understand a little bit how you might be affected by me or like it is the empathy to say like kind of we interact with different relationships in different tones and different levels and speeds. And we say like out of kindness, I want to have this relationship with you that I want to cater to you as a person because I need to know what motivates you. What are your drivers? How do you like, what is your energy level? Like some people are way up here. Mm -hmm. Some people are way down here. Yes. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty fascinating, um, space to explore 
for, for like humans. And I've done and seen, um, obviously so, there's so many different personality tests types out there right. tests out there but um i don't think there's any like as comprehensive as yeah. the enneagram that i have yeah. seen to be able to see like here's a full picture of your whole life right and so there's and a everyone lot, in it and, everyone <laughs> in it, and <laughs> how that interplays and how we can work on our strengths right mm-hmm. and we're moving towards health mm-hmm. and then to be aware of like when we're stressed yeah. out here's how it comes out how I and not not to just like turn a blind eye to that but yeah. say like I also want to like be honest with who I am yeah. and can the people that are in my life handle me for who I am and mm-hmm. graciously help hopefully push me in, in the right direction and then yeah. also graciously sit with me when I'm not ready to do that absolutely and be human and say <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I'm not there yet right yeah, and yeah. so I think that's super I don't know it's essential. So the research on empathy mm-hmm. is very, very clear that perspective taking activities are essential for developing the empathy muscle right. Right, or the empathy center of the brain. And so it's really hard to take other people's perspective unless you spend a lot of time interviewing them, mm-hmm. right? Asking them a lot of questions. Something like the Enneagram helps you to get there faster, right. more efficiently. Right, because if you can kind of start to understand people where they fit on that grid, and then you can start to say, well, based on them probably being that too, they they may interpret the situation, they may see the situation from this angle, yeah. right? So you're kind of which could be very different than yours. Oh, it's going to be right. Like it's it's what you've only got two people that are kind of similar from your vantage point, right? Yeah. The others on the other side of the circle, right? So uh, perspective taking is really essential, and if we're going to treat each other with kindness and love and respect and value and honor you have to make space for each other's perspectives right yeah and that's i think a beautiful space to dive into Mm -hmm. and be a part of Mm -hmm. i had a good friend who um his name is ryan mickley and he's a personal branding kind of like expert okay and he has this test it's called the reach 360 test okay and you take this assessment the self-assessment But then you send that same self-assessment to, I think, 10 to 20 people in your circle. And you need to have a mix of, like, family members and coworkers and superiors and subordinates. You know, like, kind of a nice cross-mix friends. And so they're asked the same questions about you. And you get this beautiful feedback of, like, this is how you see yourself. Right. And this is how you're showing up in the world. Right. And sometimes you're showing up you know, more cohesively or authentically in one realm versus another. And mm-hmm. so it just gives a lot of visibility into like, hmm, I've got a lot of blind spots over there. And <laughs> I got some work to do. And I think that's the courageous part to step into mm. to doing your own work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right, showing up for yourself and that in turn shows up, you show up for the community in that way. So the final topic is actually my favorite, oh. um, which best is best for last. Best for last. This is my <laughs> this is my zone, girl. Okay. We okay. can be here for another hour. But um, so the final topic is rest, and mm. so how do we step back from the world? How do we play, mm. discover, physically rest? How do we do things that? Um, 
kind of set us up to, to offer our best selves to the world, mm. but it takes the time away. We need time away. Like Sabbath means to stop, right? Mm. To stop working, to turn things off, which has taken me a lot of time to learn how to do. Um, but how for you, like what practices have you adopted in your life to mm. be able to have those times of, of Sabbath or to, to have times of rest? Yeah, that's so good. When I was in Kansas City, I was part of like a Messianic um, Jewish community. My parents were. Really? Yeah. Okay. My parents are Messianic. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. My mom. <laughs> my dad's no longer with us, but yeah, my, my parents in the last 10 years are, yeah, anyway, very involved wow. in that. Wow. Okay. That so we might have messianic to dish community. on that sometime. Yeah. Um, and, and that was really, that's probably been the most fulfilling, like personally fulfilling part of my faith journey. Mm -hmm. And, um, in that Messianic community, we were, we oriented our whole weeks around Shabbat, mm -hmm. right? Sabbath. And, um, we celebrated it sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Right. Um, and one thing that I remember the loving so much about Shabbat as like that anchor for the week is it prioritized rest above everything else. Mm. Right. And that it was meant to be that space of like, this is the moment it's of heaven on earth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And saying like, this is set aside. This yeah. is holy. This is sanctified. This is our taste every week of heaven on earth. Um, and there was this That's kind beautiful. of like, is that gorgeous? Yeah. And we would spend like the first half of the week getting ready for Shabbat. So it's like, you're making sure that you're not going to have any work to do on Shabbat and you're right. not going to have any chores to do on Shabbat. Um, that the, the challah, if you're going to make challah is like ready for Shabbat. And then you spend the last half of the week basking in the glow from such an amazing 24 hours, right. Together with the ones that you love the most. Right. And so like, it just created this amazing nexus point mm. that was all based on rest and togetherness. Right. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have that here. So if you want to do some Shabbat, <laughs> I'll bring the challah. It will be store-bought. <laughs> um, are there, are there things that you do that you feel like when I engage in these, I feel renewed? Definitely. So I have to get out to Wakaiva Springs. Okay. Pretty regularly. Yeah. So, so being I'll go in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got to get barefoot. I got to get at the water, in the water, you know, earthing, like getting my feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, removing as many barriers as I can between me and nature. Like mm -hmm. if I could like, you know, nude kayak out there, I probably would. I don't, but you know, just, just nature is very regenerative, mm -hmm. regenerative to me. Um, I have some chickens now. Oh, really? You come eat them. Yes. Yeah. And so going out even just, you know, and sitting in the grass with so the chickens great. is, is. Do you get eggs? Well, they've stopped laying the past couple of weeks, but yes, we were getting eggs. Okay. I don't know what's going on. I was stressed out about 2020. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. So yeah, um, connecting with nature is really big for me. And then I have actually started, I experimented a couple of weeks ago with just taking like a 15 minute Epsom salt bath in the middle of a stressful work day, okay. which is like the last moment you feel that you can spare sure. the 30 minutes around that kind of a ritual. Yeah. Glorious. Yeah. Glorious. Like you know, the minerals getting into my body and the nutrients and, and the, the hydration that comes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just energized afterwards. Like, it's interesting how, yes, <laughs> I want to say yes. <laughs> I have a weekly bath, um, schedule routine. Ooh, yes. Ooh. Sunday mornings, ooh. bath time. <gasps> but the interesting part is like how, um, 
not like it takes a schedule or a plan, Mm -hmm. but it takes a plan Mm -hmm. and like the physical things, um, that you can make a priority Mm -hmm. and doing them Mm -hmm. right. And setting it up to like buy the Epsom salt when you're at Publix and making sure that you're like putting things in your week and, essential oils like mm-hmm. you said and like things that like physically also are going to like give you the reward of doing things that are actually stress relieving mm-hmm. and they take time to like put in your schedule yes. but then when you do them you're like i see it's so I rich see. <laughs> I see the benefits yes. um it's, and it's it, absolutely essential like yeah. it, is, it is necessary i would have a mental breakdown if i had not learned mm. to invest my resources which is my time my money my energy right, right. into those moments of rest yeah and self-care i I would make it. It's been interesting. <laughs> I think even in the past six months of this time that you're that we're in, and so there are um, a lot of things. Most of the things are very hard and mm-hmm. unprecedented, and all the things. And then the other part is, I think that there's a lot of beautiful things that have come out of this, and that will come out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And part of it is time honestly Mm. just the beauty of time like either to be with your family more um to be with yourself Mm -hmm. learning how to be with yourself Mm -hmm. having more time to sit in a hammock and read or like not get up in the morning for me personally i have felt like i've never had an unhurried life Mm. and so to have this like time to see how beautiful it is to like we need work and work is beautiful and we need to show up for that as well. But we also have like the beauty of seeing how these things that take time can really give back to you and be more restorative and like the levels of stress that America puts on you to be successful is like not necessary. And in fact, not, not only not necessary, but it's pretty undesirable. Yeah. It's It's unhealthy. It's not really making anybody happy. Right. right? I don't want, I don't (laughs) want to go back to the stress levels that I had had. No. Right. Mm -mm. No. It's like, I've seen this like beautiful other side of doing things that I love and how much of that, like joy that cooking breakfast for ourselves because we don't have an hour commute to the office like that, that matters. Right. It does. (laughs) What would be an ideal day for you? It could be here. It could be international. Money is of no object. If you had just 24 hours for Shay, you can include all the things realistically or not realistic. Like what would be an ideal day for you to like wake up and just be like, I get to be in control of one whole day of the funnest things for me. Okay. It's going to, it's really not going to be that interesting. Um, I would definitely be in, uh, someplace I've never been before. Okay. So adventure is very important to me and travel is very important to me. Yep. You're seven. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it would be a new place. Right. Um, water would have to be involved. Mm-hmm. Ideally ocean. Ideally warmth. So we're probably talking, you know, someplace warm and tropical would be sure. lovely. Um, horses. Oh. No saddles. Beautiful. Just natural horsemanship. Maybe riding on a beach. Mm-hmm. Maybe swimming in the ocean on horseback. 
Um, there would definitely be some really yummy things, like probably my Macallan 15. Okay. Uh, but not until the end of the day, right? Because right. I wouldn't want to dull any of my senses in no, any no, way, no. shape, or form. Like, That's I want like to... a nightcap. Yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yes. And it's a, it's a cloudless sky at night and full moon. And I decide to swim in the ocean, maybe, at night, yeah. which I'm scared to do, and I've done a few times. Okay. <laughs> um, and probably, like, some, like chocolate truffles, like nothing heavy on the belly, but just, just, uh, delights, you know, of flavor and Mm -hmm. taste and texture. Um, what else? I would probably do some singing and dancing. I'm realizing that this ideal 24 hours is alone. (laughs) (laughs) I I have such wonderful people in my life um, that I love so much and I enjoy so much and I'm with them all the time. Right. So I'm thinking like right now. space. Yeah. 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 And and just, I finally got into the place in life where I like myself a lot. I really enjoy me. Being with you. Being with me. Yeah. Really. And as a seven, you know, that was really hard to get to. Yeah. Sitting that was hard one. Your that own was self. Really hard. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm there, so that sounds pretty nice. So new, a new terrain, an adventure, some water, some horses, Macallan. Sounds pretty dreamy. It's kind of nice, right? Yeah. You can come. Okay. You can sit with me. <laughs> Give you plenty of space. But one other person could be there, be around. Yeah, so you have to have that witness of the joy, right, right. to really make it complete. Yeah. yeah. So as we wrap up, is there a mantra or an MO that you live your life by that you would share with us? Hmm. I, um, I've been doing a lot of online shopping lately. Okay. Not that it's a good idea, but, um, I ordered, I don't know if you've seen these like custom perfume that's like where like you fill out a big personality profile thing and all these things. And then they send you these bottles of perfume. Sure. And you mix them and you find, like, just your scent. Right. It didn't work at all. Okay. (laughs) But but you also create your own label. Okay. And so I was like, man, like, what am I going to put in my label of my scent? And I'm really, I'm really intrigued by this idea right now that living by love ethic Mm. is rich and purposeful Mm -hmm. and worthwhile. And so that's what I put on my label. Okay. And so um, living by a love ethic is really on repeat in my head. I wake up in the morning and I hear it, you know, I go to bed to it playing over and over in my head. And, um, to me, it's this idea that the way that I've taken through research, the idea of empathy, which everyone disagreed on and had different ideas on and kind of pushed it off to the side, like Mm -hmm. you're born with it or without it. And you know, what places I have in business anyways, I've given that, um, language and methodology, right. So that it can like be used Right. brought into reality. I'm, I'm just there with love right now. Like I want to see, I want to see shared language around love and I want to see methodology and, and I want to give the idea of love legs so that we can all start really um, implementing it, leveraging Mm -hmm. it, recognizing when it's present, when it's not. Right. So yeah. Living by love ethic. Living by love ethic. Mm -hmm. Good one. (laughs) Where would we find you online and in your, all your social media glory? Oh my goodness. So I hope this is not inappropriate, but we just launched Honeycomb. Okay. And so that's a membership community. So it's right. member funded, member managed, um, member run. And I would really love it, you know, if you and, and people like you and and um, people who would actually listen to all of our ramblings here were interested in joining that community. And that's for women specifically. And so you can join that at members.honeycomb.com. 
Okay. Um, and there's a lot of information there to see what it's about, see if it's right for you. Because we're having these conversations mm-hmm. inside of Honeycomb um, in a deep and intimate and kind of sacred space for each other. And I just want to see more of this happening. Um, other than that, on Instagram, I am at Shea underscore all day. Okay. <laughs> uh, and same with LinkedIn in forward slash Dania Shea. Um, and then Facebook, I think is also Dania Shea underscore all day. Okay. So I would love to connect on social yes. and yeah, keep the conversation of anything that was meaningful or, or familiar or, you know, like maybe, um, confusing. I really like controversial conversations. Like let's wrestle with things and mm-hmm. let's get, let's get into it. And That's an eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go back and look at this now. You've yeah. got me intrigued. Good. Yes. This should have come. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your stories and a drink with me and just taking your time to come and chat. Thank you. It was yeah. so delightful. It was really nice to see someone in real life. I know. Even though you're six feet on the table. Right. And uh, the drink was stellar. You Good. Guys. And I got to say, like, I am so eager to try out some of these new dinner party project offerings. They sound really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and there's the six pack. That's the hope. The safe and social dinner. Yeah. Which is six dinners with six people. Girl, that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. So I'm excited for some of that. Thank you for having yes, me. Of course. That's amazing. Until next time. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversations? 